Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clear Motive Marketing. Full transparency, folks. I am one of the co-founders of Clear Motive Marketing. I have had the privilege and the amazing opportunity to be involved with my current business partner, Chad Kroger, since 2010. And it has been a fantastic ride and just an amazing, amazing journey. But I'm coming here today not as a co-founder, but as a client. Over a year ago, I brought the idea of the podcast to the team, presented the challenges, presented the opportunity, presented why I was excited about it, and they worked with me to create a plan. We built a strategy, we built the brand, we built the website, and they helped me execute, and they helped me execute day in and day out as we are constantly going live with with new, new episodes. They also were a huge help in building the audience, which can be the most challenging things, whether you're a company, with a product or a service, or just a new idea that you need to get out there. So we've grown organically from over 200 downloads last December to over 2,000 this December, which is an all-time record for the show, something we're really proud of, and I couldn't have done it without the ClearMotive team backing me at every step of the way. They specialize in helping brands that operate in fast-paced, highly competitive industries, which, let's be honest, is, is everyone these days, to deliver more consistently and more effectively day in and day out, something that we all know can be an incredible challenge in marketing with the pace of the always-on mindset. With offices and teams in both Calgary and Toronto, they work to make clients better marketers. So if you need a new website, a new brand, or simply a new efficient way to produce and deliver and get your get your creative and market, and get connected with your customers, give us a call and let's have a good old-fashioned chat. Check out our work and our case studies at www.clearmotive.ca. Alarm Collisions YYC, welcome to my friend, Miss Colleen Pound. How are you, Colleen? I'm great. Thank you, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love to start off all official. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It uh, is always an honor. You and I have been friends for a long time, and I'm excited to have you on in a bit of a difference. And I know this is a bit cliche because you've been in your current role for a year, but you and I have not done a podcast about your current role. So I'm treating it like it's a little bit new, even though you've been in the position that you've been in for 12 months, since almost, like, almost 12 since the start of COVID. Yeah, that's right. Because you are a partner at Deloitte in their consulting services. So I'm going to turn it over to you to give us a little bit more, expand on that, and uh, we'll get the conversation going. Sure, that sounds great. Well, one, thank you so much for having me. And as we're coming up on a year on the pandemic, that it coincides with my one-year anniversary starting at Deloitte, uh, as you and I have talked about many times. And so one of the things that Deloitte has really chosen to focus on is private and mid-market enterprise and, and business. And so I lead the mid-market and private consulting practice for the Prairies. So that includes Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. I make that clarification for your listeners who are outside of the Prairies area. Thank you. And, um, and so we're just really focused on working with uh, private and mid-market businesses to help them grow, expand, and transform in ways that they previously thought were perhaps unachievable or unattainable to them. Oh, I like that. Yes. Pre previously thought un un unachievable. One of the things I always love about you, and you and I have known each other for quite a few years. We met way back, I think in 2012-ish? Yes, we're there. Quite a while. Then. Is you're always learning and you're always putting yourself in a position to learn and to help others in that process. And something you and I were talking about today, uh, I know you've been doing some work around truth and reconciliation on just your own journey of, of learning. Definitely. So uh, one of our big focuses at Deloitte is around learning and continuous learning and not only for our own knowledge, but also to help us be better people, better professionals, help our clients become better at what they do. And so, um, you know, we've had a lot of conversations around anti-racism as it relates to the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, truth and reconciliation, definitely a pillar, not only in our diversity, equity and inclusion practice, 
but organization wide. And so I recently completed our training, have been talking to some of our clients about what that means for them. And there's a really great piece of that that starts with an education and awareness for self and then an acknowledgement. And so I think we were talking about the land acknowledgement component of that. Absolutely, which is something I have I've heard, I have not brought into my own life. So today is that day. So, and I always appreciate learning something new and the opportunity to wade into territory that may have felt unknown, but that's, that's exactly how you get over these barriers and open your mind to things. So uh, you were very kind to provide me with an acknowledgement that I can read off today as I embrace this as, as, as my own. And this is the first time we've done this on the podcast. So thank you. So I'd like to start with the acknowledge that I live and work in the traditional unceded territory, the t- territory of the people of the Treaty 7 region in Southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, Tsutsina First Nation, and the Stony Nakoda. The city of Calgary is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Well done. We are all treaty people, and I think that that's something really important to remember as we're learning, as we're looking at different challenges that we're encountering from a business perspective, as we're putting ourselves in other people's shoes or socks in terms of their position and how they're looking at things. And... Um, and so it's just, it's, it's one, uh, it's not a small thing to do. It's mm-hmm. easy to do. It's important. It's important to start the conversation, talk about why we do that, to remind ourselves that we were not the first people here. And so uh, changing that perspective changes, I think, the power dynamic in many, many people's minds. And I think that that's an important place to start. I appreciate that. It's amazing what you said. It's like such a small gesture that sometimes when you the first do it, it doesn't maybe have as much meaning. But as you start doing it and start opening your mind to it, it's amazing how like one step, one one foot goes in front of the other when it comes to adopting a new set of beliefs, which is easy to talk about, sometimes a little more challenging to do. Absolutely. So the best place to start challenging is yourself is with yourself, right? <laughs> it's, it's, much easier, it's much easier to start with you than to have someone else challenge you, you know, like... Yes, I find both to be successful strategies. That's why I surround myself with people, well, like like present company included. So obviously, Deloitte. For, let's start with the, let's start with the foundational mid market. I find that it's almost impossible to get a clear definition of what the concept of mid market is. I've, I'll, I'll Google it and get ten different. So from your perspective and what you do at Deloitte, let's start with the definition of mid market, and I think that's a good jumping off point for this conversation. Indeed. Well, you're not alone in determining you know what is mid market. So. You know, if you look for definitions, Investopedia has 10 million to a billion in annual revenue. Um, You know, some people might say in Canada, it's 50 million to 200 million in annual revenue. In the US, some parts use 100 million to 3 billion in revenue. So, and what we use at Deloitte for our purposes are between about 50 million and 1 billion, plus or minus. And so there's some flexibility in there. And why it's important to obviously narrow that down to define the market is one thing, but there's even challenges within subsectors of that market. A $50 million organization is not going to have the same challenges as a $250 million organization or a $500 million organization. When you start to get into the upper end of mid-market, like kind of $500 million to a billion, then some of the challenges uh, become similar or it's just a matter of scale. Uh, and so, one of the things that we look for is really to focus in on what is the challenge or the problem we're trying to solve, right? What would need to be true in order for us to solve it? And then how can we ensure that we're the best positioned to deliver on that particular promise? I appreciate that. And across, how many different sectors uh, do you work in? 
So we've got a number of sectors. Six right now are focused on uh, oil and gas and construction engineering. Of course, a little bit opportunistic for us uh, being in Alberta and, and with the current uh, economic challenges. Although I did see that the WTI was over $50 again last week. So that's positive news for uh, anyone who cares about energy. Uh, which should be everyone in Canada. <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> well, well said. Thank you, for, thank you for mentioning that. It should, uh, should be all of us. <laughs> it's, it, it's not only an Alberta challenge. However, I do appreciate that sometimes the conversation can become very Alberta-centric, and that is not the purpose of discussions around energy and resources or the conversation for energy transition, which we're going to talk about a, a little bit later. Um, so construction engineering, uh, public sector, you know, higher ed and municipalities and, and healthcare and hospitals, Power utilities and mining, financial services, so medium-sized banks, large credit unions, insurance, and then, you know, what we call consumer, which is a mix of transportation, retail, wholesale, distribution, ag, grocery, telecom, industrial, chemicals. So those are the sectors that we tend to cover in the mid-market in the prairies. When you look at across that broad sector and you get up, like you made the comment, like a 50 million top line company is going to have a different problem than a 200 million top line company. When you get up in that 150, 200 million range, is are the problems consistent? Are you Do you see patterns? I'm just curious like, kind of what you see as you look out. And obviously we'll get into the different provinces and the different balance there, but I'm curious in terms of what different sectors and the main challenges that they're dealing with. Yeah, I would say that the largest challenge is the moving up the maturity model okay. in whatever industry or business you're in. Is so you've you've built this amazing company, you're growing it, and then there's a difference between um, organic growth and step level growth. And so you'll you'll reach a plateau, right? You'll you'll ride that curve, and then you'll hit a plateau. And sometimes you even need to invest and and go down, slow down a little bit, mm-hmm. the slow down to speed up, as it were. Change the uh, engines while the plane is flying. Exactly. <laughs> but you got to drop some altitude. <laughs> Indeed. And so, and there can be some fear around making a major change because you've already experienced some success. And so there's a lot of things that are working well for you. And Understanding which things you want to keep versus which things you want to change can sometimes be a great inflection point where you want to have some outside counsel. You beat me to my next question. Like those types of decisions, you can't see the label when you're inside the bottle. Something we always joke about at Clear Motive, but that's so true. But I love what you said about you know when you're the startup and you've got nothing to lose but everything to gain. Arguably, once you've got some skin in the game and you've got some success and you have people relying on you from investors to staff to customers, change is a lot harder. It's easy to talk about in a podcast environment, but you know how much are you seeing over the last? Obviously. Alberta, Western Canada, we've already had some challenges in the energy sector over the last five years. The last year of COVID feels like every business is going through a, a, a step change because technology and you're being disrupted by you know non-traditional sectors that are coming in and stealing your customers by, by solving a different problem you hadn't even thought of yet. How much are you seeing that is, I guess, man, I don't want to sound... It's like these are these are changes because we need to survive, or these are innovation because we are looking to the future. Like I guess, how many how many people are getting left hooks versus how many are are being proactive? Well, my philosophy is if you're not moving forward, then you're already behind, <laughs> right? So, and to your point about the technology, I would say that there's three components that are consistent across every major client set that I deal with. You needed increased uh, focus on technology, technology strategy, technology roadmap. You need to really look at your operating model, the robustness of that, and is it taking into consideration all the possibilities of the changing environment? And 
what are you doing for your organization that's going to be transformational, both for your clients and internally in terms of how you run your operations? Because mm. you're right, every single thing is being disrupted right now. Uh, from a, from a market, from a market, from a customer perspective, or most of the companies you're dealing with, are their customers local, international, abroad? Like when you're talking about larger companies, oftentimes they need to go much further afield to find their customers. Right. Our our clients' customers tend to be national, Canada, and the U.S. and international as well. Okay, so a real a real blend. Are you seeing any type of a movement? And I'm asking this because it's a, I'm leading the question a bit because I've heard from a lot of guests I've had on the show is that they're they need to go broader, they need to go global, they need to look at you know you know I've talked to a couple of companies that were doing quite well and they didn't have one customer in Alberta, let alone even in Canada, overseas or breaking into different markets. Are you seeing that? Is is that is that trend increasing? Hmm. I'm going to take a moment to think. I'm just thinking across the different provinces Mm -hmm. where I've seen that. I would like to see more of that for sure. I think that, um, you know, if this last year has taught us anything, it is to think differently. And there's also been a reasonable amount of fear and uncertainty that comes along with that. And when those two things go together, usually that involves some paralysis <laughs> and an unwillingness to, or an unwillingness to take risks or a willingness to be very conservative and to de-risk your position. And that actually goes back to an earlier comment I made about if you're not moving forward, you're standing still. Yeah. So, um, you know, we had one client who did an exceptional job uh, during the first part of, of COVID where they cleared the decks, they had their entire executive team in for a week, and they did scenario planning. Like organizations that did scenario planning within the first couple weeks of, uh, of the changes happening last year, yep. miles ahead. And, you know, we talk about survive, recover, thrive. Mm-hmm. Organizations that, that put themselves in a good position to recover, um, or pardon me, to survive uh, and manage through that period of time and to understand what were those key metrics and how should they should be measuring mm-hmm. them and monitoring them on a day-to-day basis. Those are the organizations that I've got a lot of confidence in in terms of their ability to take it to the next level. Mm, I appreciate that. And beyond having the right metrics and putting the right the right levers in place, culturally, that sends a very different message when you're like, no, this is happening. Eyes wide open. We know it's happening, but we're being very proactive. I would assume those are the same organizations that probably included their, their teams in those conversations. And there was probably a lot of transparency when, because when your individual team members are in fear, it makes it hard. For, it makes them paralyzed as well when, you, when, when everything in your life has been turned upside down. It, it does do that. And it also sends a clear signal that what we knew yesterday is not what we know today. So even if we were the smartest people in the room yesterday, there's a whole new set of circumstances today and we need to reevaluate. And I think that's where that humility and leadership comes in, where you can say, okay, we've got new information. We need to look at things differently. We need to think differently. We need to include uh, people we perhaps didn't include before for a variety of viewpoints. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think there's some of that. I mean, when we look at what we're seeing in the market, of course, and this kind of, you know, ties into some of the other things that you and I have talked about is how's the market landscape changing, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, we're seeing a lot more m like consolidation and, and restructuring. And so there's some challenges in that in, in terms of the market, right? Uh, organizations are going to have fewer choices. There's 
there's a potential dilution of when you combine two entities. You know, you go to buy a company because they've got a really strong value proposition or there's some synergies that you could think you can benefit from as an organization. And then what do you do when you acquire them? You bring them into your firm and then you make them do all the things that they were doing the exact same way that you do them and, um, and erode a lot of that value proposition. So, I don't know. Those are some of the challenges of having like an acquisition strategy, but there's also lots of opportunity. So consolidation can mean efficiencies. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about the operating model and how to change, um, you know, design the integration and the integration model so that you can uh, like include those different perspectives of both sides of the team. What did you do? Well, what worked? What didn't, what would you like to see change? What do you think is possible when you move forward? Um, and there's a component of, consolidation that really begs for a shared service enablement and transformation where you're consolidating and how can you do more with less more with the same uh, increase the quality of service and the variety of services that you're providing even internally because the productivity effort is huge um, you know if you think about your most productive employee mm-hmm. and how much you can accomplish just with that one employee then imagine if your whole organization is full of employees like that. Well, what do they need in order to be able to do that? They need the technology, the processes, they need things to be seamless and they need them to happen quickly so that they don't have to focus on those things. It's like having a five-year-old laptop that you have to you know, troubleshoot the, uh, the startup or the dial of internet. That is so, and I don't care if you're a small startup, you know, for a 30 person marketing firm, like maybe I'm aware of, and you start looking at that extra 10 or 15 minutes a day that that person is fussing over their technology and you add it up and you put it against a year and you put that times 30 people or 300 or 3000 people. It is, it's actually catastrophic, but it's so incremental. We don't see it. <laughs> well, it is. And it's also frustrating. Like, and it's embarrassing. Me off. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, um, and you know, it affects your brand, right? Like if you're, if you're showing up as a slick, shiny new brand and, and you're you're like, hold on a second. Is, Is this, this thing, thing on? on? <laughs> so, so I think there's that, you know, and, and it's not only pivoting from an internal perspective, it's also pivoting externally as well. So, you know, I, I mentioned the services and, and resource sector before. Services companies are receiving a ton of pressure to optimize and also become more sophisticated when it comes to supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. As the market's consolidating, they're going to be dealing with large organizations who have more sophisticated buying patterns. Different procurement departments, different, yeah, a whole bunch of checks and measures that maybe they weren't dealing with before. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so mm-hmm. in looking at that, if you can get really good at that, one, it improves your efficiencies and it gets you into, it gets you invited to the party, if you will. And it also can reduce your costs as well. So that that creates such an opportunity both on top line and, and uh, bottom line growth, right? When you think about it, and you made the comment, you didn't use the term, but that kind of, te- how do you 10X those employees? I was talking to, um, you're familiar with Dan uh, at Terra Hub. Yes. I was talking to Dan the other day and I was, I was like, I'm listening to him talk about the things they were doing, but then also I'm like, but you only have like 15 people. And I said, what's your secret? He goes, each one's a 10Xer. You know, it was just a, a different than the unicorn story that we've all, but how do you do that? You enable that with technology. You you do that just by, re- you can get a three or four X just by removing friction. <laughs> yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you talk about, you know, people showing up better, being more excited to be at work, that employee engagement, which I mean, we'll talk about probably later, employee engagement, mental health and things like that. And what, what's that meant during the last year for sure. There's another component on pivoting if you know before we move off on the energy side is around you know organizations like energy services companies where they need to look at their business in different ways and enter new verticals so not greenwashing but maybe going from 
areas like where they are now into things like water and waste handling, mm. you know, carve those things out, get better valuations for them. Um, you know, capitalize on those environmental issues. It's, it's not that people that work in the resources sector aren't familiar with environmental concerns and don't have the wherewithal to solve those. And I think it's a really important opportunity for oil and gas companies to be cutting edge beyond drilling wells right well and that conversation is coming up extensively on the show of like we are the best qualified for energy period water waste everything so is that a role where Deloitte would come in is that part of you can't see the label when you're too close to it so is that a role where you guys will come in from a consulting perspective and say hey let's let's get in the plane let's go up to 30,000 feet and let's take a look at this thing so from a mid-market perspective are you are a lot of the conversations you're having now not just in energy but are you seeing that across the board where they're looking for you to come in and go what am I not seeing Definitely, you know, a conversation about strategic options and to really look at what are what are those forward trends and to push your notion, both on the operating model side, as well as what do you think you know? You know, I find that those conversations <laughs> are, are very important. Sometimes uh, people, and, and I'm guilty of this, and I, you probably are too, is we drink our own Kool-Aid, right? We get too comfortable. We Occasionally, measure. it's very delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I think oftentimes it's delicious. That's why we do it. And, you know, and so, uh, you know, that can be challenging and you just need to kind of step outside and sometimes you, you need a friend to step outside with. And, and someone who you trust their opinion, they've got the experience. You know, one of the reasons why I moved to Deloitte was because I'm in the last third of my career and I wanted to be able to help as many people as possible in as many ways as possible. And it's still something that I'm blown away to to this day, the breadth and depth of knowledge and expertise that we have. And I know that sounds like an infomercial and it's absolutely not meant to. Um, but, you know, I just continue to be surprised every day that, you know, do we have an expertise in this? Oh, yeah, we have a whole we have a whole practice in this. I'm almost a year in and I'm still learning, which, as you know, is one of the things that I love most in life. Well, what's the what's uh, it's not it's not bragging if it's true. <laughs> just to pull it. I think that's a suits quote. From the mistake or something. <laughs> Worked that into a Sunday afternoon podcast. Well done. Uh, Provincially, obviously, we're talking like when you when you talk energy, I can't help but feel very Alberta centric. We're in this market. We've we all know we've been, you know, five years ago there was a little bit of a hold your breath strategy, maybe then a holy shit strategy, and now then it was a COVID strategy, and now we're hopefully, like you said, WCI, we've got some indicators moving in the right direction, but it's a slow road, and I don't, and I do believe it won't look like it looked before, and I think that's that's okay because we're being a lot more efficient. When you look across the other provinces, and you look at Manitoba and Saskatchewan differences like are they obviously energy plays a part in Saskatchewan what are the kind of things you see when you look because you've got a pretty interesting preview when you look across those three provinces yeah I mean that's it's a good question and a big question there's a couple things I would say one is that there's this perceived unpredictability of government decisions Mm -hmm. and government decision making and that's both locally provincially nationally so I think that has a play of course in Saskatchewan they're actually taking quite a progressive and interesting approach to collaborate and to optimize and and real partnership in in some cases. You say partnership between government and industry directly? Government and industry and just how to be creative in the problem solving and the solutions and, and how we kind of bring that to bear. I would say in Manitoba but I mean, they were probably one of the first provinces to lock down very early. They locked it down tight. And so they're, um, and they're, you know, they're concerned about if they're going to have to lock down again. So what does that mean for business as well as like individual employees? And then in Alberta, you know, we were already challenged with our uh, energy sector. And then our province has also been exploring new operating models with our healthcare system. Right. And so, 
we, we've been challenged in a, a bunch of different ways. So I think, you know, that that's a distinction. When you, when you perceive these um, uncertain government decision-making mm-hmm. processes, there's an impact to all these ancillary businesses, right, that align themselves to government programs. And so it actually reminds me, from an organizational perspective, to focus on the identification, mitigation, and management of your risks. Like, as an organization, you should always know what your top five risks are. And if they're related to government, you know, what are your plans on on mitigating or mm-hmm. how can you decouple yourself from that decision-making? So, you know, those are some questions that don't come up on an annual on an annual basis necessarily because you're very focused on the business and government is something that happens outside so there's a perception that you can't persuade influence change or there's no point even thinking about it or conversely people pay so much attention to it that that kind of drives drives their strategy and neither one of those is a winning combination the other thing i would say is you know with the canada employment wage subsidy that's really delaying the inevitable, you know? I, I've heard it. Yeah, I'm interesting to hear you say that because it feels like we're just pushing the can down the road a little bit. And I'm not saying right or wrong. I wouldn't want to have to make those decisions. But, you know, what is going to happen when kind of the, the, the fountain runs dry, right? And it's not a criticism about having it. Mm-hmm. It is just a concern around, I'm not sure that people are thinking about what their life is going to be like when it goes away and what's required now in order to prepare for when that happens. And, and that's a hard conversation to have because I mean, in Alberta, for example, we're like 10% unemployment, right? We're, yeah. we're third in unemployment nationally, which is something that Albertans frankly aren't very used to and they don't like No, it. that's a foreign concept. I, you know, moving here from back East, I used to brag about, well, I think it's a 0% unemployment and you know, I don't, yeah, you don't make those, you don't make those boasts anymore. Mm-hmm. No. And, and so what that means for industries, you know, on the distress side, when it rolls off, I mean, it's just, it's delayed so much. So it's impacting resource companies. It's impacting commercial real estate. Uh, that's taking a hit. I mean, the good news and I like, you know, I love a good news story. I, yes, as do I, as do I. <laughs> is the, the good news is that the banks are still being very patient. They're kind of expecting retail to resume and landlords are waiting as long as possible. And they're kind of hoping that summer is maybe going to be the time when we go to pre-COVID levels. Um, and that's, of course, no one has a crystal ball. We can all be, we can all be hopeful and planful for that and cautiously and, optimistic cautiously <laughs> optimistic exactly and uh, and as you know we have a an economic tracker that we crowdsource data from to kind of see whether that trend is is moving towards that direction or not and so that's one thing but you know i also think about even just in grocery i mean the ex- the example of people being able to buy online and pick up in store and, you know, be able to have your groceries delivered to you and all those kind of things. Those are all transformations that have been accelerated uh, because of the pandemic. What I don't know that everyone is aware of is that, or, th- or thinks about when you're doing your grocery shopping is that grocery shopping is a very low margin business, right? So they're having to innovate, but they need to be very, cautious and strategic in terms of what they do because with a low margin business you don't get a lot of second starts no your 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 room to i, I talked to a friend of mine said the other day he goes well one of my pro, one of my goals in business was to get a high enough margin business that i could screw up and still survive it right and there's something to be said for that it's stuck in the back of my mind just the way he said it kind of in passing but grocery it, it's pennies sometimes you're literally just splitting pennies indeed and you know mm-hmm. 
we've learned that food security is very important to us. And so it really kind of brings in the prairies in particular conversation back to our farmers, what we need to do to buy and support local. Uh, How are we making sure that we've got enough of our food security needs to be met within Canada? Um, You know, so there's, there's a lot going on province to province uh, with, with, I would say even with respect to agriculture. That's interesting. Do you think like some of what you touched on about some of these things we become we become aware of, like food security, things like that? Did we get kicked enough to to learn and do it different in the future? There's always a tendency to slip back into old habits. When you look at businesses that are at the level you're you're talking to, are they looking out of the like? No, well, we're not going to let it slip back. We're going to do things differently. So if X Y Z event happens in the future, we're not going to be caught in the same situation. Are you seeing that, or is there is anybody just holding their breath? <laughs> I think it's probably too early to tell. Okay. If our provincial government is any indication, we maybe haven't incorporated all of our learnings. It seems to be a fluid model. I'm going to say that. Yeah, that's that's very fair. <laughs> you know, the other thing I would say is the market's been wild, right? Like, and you as a business owner, you know this, cost management and revenue generation can feel like a challenge. Sometimes you're walking into work and your head's held down and you're, I don't know what I'm going to do today, right? And I think everyone at some point has felt that over the last year. And what I would say is now is the time to double down on strategic marketing uh, when it comes to revenue generation. You know, we need to grow ourselves out of this recession. We know that um, economic recovery is built on the back of small and medium businesses, right? And so there's no there's no rescue coming. We need to earn it and we need to grow it and we need to grow it by thinking differently, by meeting the market, by getting our products and services out to the market. And some other things that I think actually came out of the pandemic, right? Leverage relationships. Buy from people you know, buy from people you like, buy from people you trust. And and that's actually, that kind of goes a little bit against my earlier advice around become more sophisticated in the buying process for procurement. So, of course, a little bit of it is sector by sector. You mm-hmm. can, you can Those advance. things could still both play together, but I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. They, they need to go hand in hand as opposed to an either or. And, um, you know, that whole notion that we're all in this together, the collegiality, like those things to leverage, be creative in the solutions. How do you do things? Can you do things differently? Um you know, we've talked about people want to buy local, but not at a disproportionate cost or inconvenience to them, whether it's their time or their money or or just, you know, the service reliability or guarantees. And so this is where quality and differentiation come into play. And, you know, I think a great local business that has done an excellent job of pivoting in probably one of the hardest sectors is Modern Stake. Okay. Yep. Right. Steve Deere won very vocal in the news and in the press about the impacts of the changing regulations. I've heard them on CBC multiple mornings. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they pivoted their downtown location from Modern Ocean and Modern State to M Burger and then Modern Burger. They came up with a whole new business model in order to help sustain themselves. Uh, those stories are, in- are inspiring. What, when, when, pl- when pressure applied, the uh, creative come alive, right? <laughs> Indeed. Well, and, you know, it's so great to see ideas like that come into play. You know, we can only look at, for example, the University of Calgary, right? They've got the Hunter Hub and students are taught entrepreneurial thinking. And so they're taught to look for problems that they would like to see solved themselves. And then that's that's how they start to do their own business case and business modeling. We need more thinking like that. And that's not to say that we don't have a lot of that thinking in Calgary because we do. But when you look at the landscape, you point at that and you say, we want more of that. 
That's what's, that's what's going to take us into this next phase. That's going to help us thrive. And when you look at the mid-market space specifically, especially those larger corporations, companies taking into everything you said earlier about fear of loss, and we've done it this way for a while, and I guess how much from a, again, just slipping back to culture, is are the current leaders able to bring that mindset in? Because that's a challenge. Like I'm, I'm operating and I'm doing what I've done because I know I understand the problem I'm solving to like forget about all that, blank sheet of paper, start over while still don't blow up what you have because you still need to transition. Like the plane can't hit the mountain. It still needs to fly. How much of that is, is like, I just, I don't want to overlook that it's easy to say in a podcast like this. It's hard to do when it meets reality. It is. And I would actually say that's when the boards come into play, where the boards really need to be pushing their management team to to run dual engines, right? If you think about when you're doing an acquisition, you run two models, you know, in order to keep yourself honest, right? And, and, and to test the veracity <laughs> and the stress test of it. And so I would say the same thing. And, you know, I remember in 2014, 2015, I was talking around optimization and risk management and decision sciences. And everyone said optimization. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, but we don't have time to do that right now because we're too busy. We're too busy. And I said, that's great. But when you're going to need optimization, you're not going to have the money to invest in doing it properly. And so, so now is the time if you've been in a position where you've righted the ship from a business perspective, you need to take a look and say, we need to carve out 10, 20, 30% and look at what are we going to do next and how are we going to create an environment where we can be entrepreneurial. You know, from a strategic planning perspective, there's a notion of 70, 30, 10, where 10 is is kind of like that 10 to 20 years out where mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, just beyond reach. It's maybe some crazy stuff. Uh, 20% is more sandbox-like. Like, it's a tie to what you're doing now. Um, so less likely to fail. Like, the, the 10% you should just plan on failing. Like, kiss that goodbye, right? We'll call that uh, learning. We're going to call yes, that learning. that's the investment in your learning. And then the 70% is really dedicated to where you are right now. And everyone will say, we can't afford to do that. And my, what I would say is you can't afford not to. That's the, I think, the, and has the last year, Told, prove that to be a hundred percent true. Like I feel all these, like I told you so's the last year just served up on its own <laughs> for, for all of us in one way or another. <laughs> for sure. And it's, that's a advice that's best received from yourself. <laughs> you don't want anyone serving that up to you, I, right? No one, I, no I one likes and I told you so. Yeah, so, no. um, but <laughs> true story. <laughs> no one wants to hear. I told you so. I told you so. And you know, so it's obvious in theory, as yes. you're saying, though, it can be tough to put into practice. And so, for example, we know technology is changing jobs, right? This presents a challenge of uh, that we need to answer. You know, which jobs in organizations, like what organizational jobs are required, mm-hmm. right? That creates a huge skills gap. And so what are we going to do about upskilling? And that can feel very overwhelming. And so, as the, you know, I could reference the Alice in Wonderland, it, you need to know where you're going in order to know how to get there, yeah. right? And and it's with your strategy. It's also with your people and, and the skills that you're going to need and the jobs that you're going to need in the future. So strategy and planning is key. Scenario planning and modeling is key. Building a roadmap for your talent and the transition and showing your employees that you're thinking about the same things they're thinking about. Because mm. employees know. Employees know that things are changing. That creates a fair amount of fear and uncertainty on their part. And so have the conversation. Look, this is where we are. This is where we need to go. 
we're going to figure out what that looks like. We're going to do it together um, because they're thinking about the same things that you're thinking about. And everyone needs to be committed to building a plan to get there, right? Like the, the commitment to the future needs needs to be there and it can't be developed in a vacuum just within leadership. I'm curious, with so many moving parts and I've heard different speakers, you know, like forget about five-year plans. You know, you can barely plan six months in, ahead because we don't know what's going what's gonna to happen. So when you're sitting down with leadership teams and working with boards, what is the expectation of when you say future planning? What kind of a, what kind of a run rate are we actually talking about for this 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 future business you speak of? I would say it depends on the size of the organization. The larger the organization, the more time you need to turn the ship. Fair enough. Uh, even even at Deloitte, right? We've launched a private and mid market. Um, this is not our first time to the rodeo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be our last though because we're knocking it out of the park and uh, and having a great time doing it. However there's you're we're always ahead right the people who are kind of leading the strategy and starting to implement it we're ahead of ourselves we're always we're, <laughs> we're ahead of ourselves right? we're, we're, we're always six months ahead of of our peers who maybe haven't haven't heard or are just learning and and that's a constant education and awareness process mm. so i would say for larger organizations you need to look out longer because it takes time to provide the process, the procedure, the learnings to align that to the culture and change. And longer uh, is 12, 24, 36? What are we, what are we talking about? Um, so I, I think, I believe that every organization uh, needs a, like a three-year plan, okay. right? Something to build to. But if you can, then the, the creative conversations come up with, well, this is our three-year plan, but what would it take to get here in 18 months? Hmm. You know, what would need to be true in order for this to accelerate? And by the way, if we're going to get to X, Y, Z at year 10, but everyone else is going to studies show that everyone else is going to be there at year eight. Is that really a strategy that we want to pursue? Right. Because you got to put it in place just so you can beat it up. (laughs) Indeed. Like you need, you need a plan, but plans change and they should change and they should be fluid and you should be reevaluating, checking, checking your heart monitor to see if you're still on the right path. Right. And so I, yeah, I think I, you know, six months, if you're a small, nimble organization or you're very reliant on an, on an industry or a specific set of trends that are constantly changing, right. then yeah, you should be looking at it. I think that people who man- measure your progress quarterly is, is generally a good start instead of annually, right? Okay. And, and are you on track? There's something about, this is why financial forecast, your valuation on your shares is largely built on, did you do what you say you were going to do? That lets us know how much we can trust the next version of what you said you're going to do. Right. How good is your forecasting and yeah. are you sticking to your plan? And if you're ahead of plan, that's great. Right. right? So, mm. you know, and I, again, we talked about this, but that's really where the focus on the people comes in, that 10X factor, mm-hmm. right? How can you get the most out of your employees? And and there's also a component on where do you focus from an industry or an economic landscape. So we're seeing if you were going to come into this prairie's market, mm-hmm. green field, clean slate, what are the areas or types of conversations you'd be thinking about? Energy transition, right? Renewable natural gas, biodiesel, hydrogen, and carbon capture, right? Big focus on LNG and ESG, right? That's coming down the pipe for sure as you and I talked about, indigenous opportunities, right? Both the truth and reconciliation, awareness, and also how to cultivate like an innovative partnership with indigenous groups, like what they did with the fishing in uh, on the East Coast there. Mm-hmm. Like more of that. That's what we want to see, more partnerships like that. Uh, 
you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging that is coming in hard. And I think board members are focusing in that area as well. And that directly relates to your talent pipeline. And why that's important is because if you fundamentally believe that diversity, equity, inclusion are going to make you a better organization, a stronger business organization, it's not a check the box exercise. It is part of your value proposition of how you're going to grow yourself out of the situation you're in right now. Um, Operating efficiencies, like if I go back to thinking about oil and gas, right? Digital journey, um, physical spaces where there's uh, sensor technology, material recycling we talked about, resource use reduction, right? Like, so how do you do more with using less water, for example, right? Um, Organizations are really starting to look at that, not only from an ESG and a reputation and a brand and an investor perspective, but also because it relates to operational efficiencies, well, which b- are It's cost. a bottom line, bottom line perspective. Absolutely. And, you know, automation, we could have a whole separate conversation about that. And that, in fact, yes. I believe that you have. I have. I have a few. <laughs> I'm very interested in the world of uh, IoT and what's happening over there and what Brenda and Kevin and some mutual friends are doing in that sector. And I think that I'll, like there's no better province qualified or no part of the world qualified to lead in that area. I think it's a fantastic opportunity. Just the sheer amount of sensors and data we already have kind of on the go here applied over with ML and oh yeah. Anyways, it gets me quite excited. <laughs> yeah. There, like there's a lot of opportunity yeah. there and we have the opportunity to be first and leading and innovating in that space. And, you know, and then you look at the other side, even something as simple as like payments modernization mm-hmm. for customer ease of transactions and, both those things are part of an overall digital transformation, right? Which is usually tied to like a larger business model review. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I love the clarification there. And it's maybe overstated, but digital transformation isn't just digitizing what you're already doing. It's look at what is going to remove the most friction and cause the most value for your employees and your customers. And digital is going to be the component to that. And I think it's gets, I know it's maybe sounds obvious, but I think it needs to be clarified again and again and again. The number of conversations I have about what is digital strategy would not be surprising to you, but could be surprising to many (laughs) others. And, you know, people think, oh, we have a technology strategy. Well, that's not a digital strategy, right? A digital strategy looks at how are you changing your operating model from a customer perspective, from a competitive perspective, from a business and and landscape, uh, from your strategy and operating model. It may choose, uh, help you choose to do different things or to not do some of the things that you were doing before, right? It's that strategic options analysis that comes into play. And so, the digital strategy, the emphasis is on the strategy and the digital is taking into account all the different ways that we're evolving and how that's going to impact your business model. It's impact or be impacted, right? <laughs> Curious, what are you seeing across across your kind of purview of provinces around bigger companies? Often in the past, it was hard to disrupt the 150 or $200 million, like and they, they've got it, they own it. But now you see these stories of technology-led companies coming in that are nimble, they don't have the same everything in place, and they're able to come in and disrupt aggressively. And are you seeing that or certain certain sectors? Is there anything that's standing out for you where there's more left hooks coming at companies? I'm thinking. Nothing stands out to me, okay. honestly, right now. Uh, I'm, I'm just running my mind through the, 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 checklist, yeah. the, the different areas. And I would say, you know, what I love to see is organizations talking about how to use blockchain, mm-hmm. how to use, run programs on their GL, 
um, you know, like just basic things. Like I know everyone gets excited about the big, sexy innovations that can come. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of the noise that you can remove for your employees is around transactional items. And so it does. It doesn't always have to be big and sexy. That, no, that's what I would say. I was at a roundtable once with that was put on by Longview, and they had some leading companies in town, and they were talking about the things they were automating. They were so simple. There was one like it, it changed the way the organization functioned, and it was just automating expensive reports. And all of a sudden, the, the manager now just saved a week of his life every month for doing this thing, and it made me go, "Oh wow, stop looking at like we're going to change and blow the whole thing up." But how do we just fix this one at a time and just kind of knock them off? And it was impressive to see some of these large organizations and the friction points they were removing were having huge impact on their organizations. And you're right, it's easy to look at, we always want to see the big, huge, like monumental event. Every organization should know what their three to five key business processes are from start to finish. There should be as few handoffs as possible. You should be able to articulate who touches which process at what point in time, who owns that process, what technology enablers are along the way, and which things someone must physically be involved in. Mm-hmm. Well, it's argue. I'm going to push a little bit. You said, you know, what can we use blockchain for? It's like let's analyze all of those steps and then go to the shelf and say it's not like I've got this hammer, man. I'm looking for something, and but I think technology that's a that is a that's a risk. I'm running around with blockchain looking for a blockchain problem to solve versus oh, let me really understand my problem. Oh, I wonder if blockchain would be the answer. And I think technology right now is at an interesting place because there's a lot of hammers and everything's a nail. <laughs> I agree 100%. And I just had that conversation multiple times last week where it needs to start with the strategy. And the challenge can be for uh, smaller companies in the the mid-market space that they don't want to spend the time and energy working on the strategy or even spending money on the strategy because they know their business. That's what got them there. Um, They feel that they're the experts in them and their business and their unique value proposition. And they're right. And that also isn't the whole answer. Yeah. And so it's it's plan to fail, fail to plan. <laughs> Good t-shirt for today. Um, so let's 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 polish off the crystal ball here for a second that we, we both admittedly don't own, but we're gonna we'll do it anyways. What do you see coming down the pipe? You guys obviously what I love about Deloitte is you guys have a lot of metrics and indicators and you're looking to read the future as best as you can to provide the right advice and guidance. 12, 18 months, what do you what do you see across across all these multiple sectors you get to to to, to be involved in? Well, you know, I think there's some industries that are gonna continue to struggle. So travel, tourism, hospitality higher ed in in some provinces, potentially. I'd love to see tourism pick up a little bit, even within Canada, right? Which which I secretly would hope if we do get a little bit of a relaxation on these current realities in the summer, because that's what happened arguably late last year. I'm hoping to see a repeat of that, personally. Hope's not a strategy, but I am hopeful. (laughs) No, but there's nothing wrong with having some healthy optimism. (laughs) So uh, transportation, last mile delivery, like look at Amazon and food services. Um, You know, we've got different patterns now. Consumer buying behavior and patterns are different now. Uh, I was just on a Zoom call last night and it's a friend's birthday in Vancouver and I had uh, Ubered her, skipped the dishes to her uh, uh, cake. Oh, you told me you were you were, yeah. uh, you were undertaking that cake. Yes, <laughs> yes, I did. And so it, it worked out great. And um, it was something I previously wouldn't have considered. Hmm. But it made it possible because food service delivery has pivoted and opened up to a variety of ways. And, and so I personally appreciate that and I look forward to that continuing. I mean, 
emphasis on health. We are talking about vaccine production in Canada is a whole separate conversation. Yes. Another, which, another <laughs> podcast I'm not qualified to have at this moment. <laughs> um, so, so there's that we need to look at egg grocery. We've already touched on the food security, vertical farms, people growing their own, um, you know, automotive as people look to control their environment and transportation and their ability to be mobile. I mean, OEMs are seeing some challenges in terms of, um, in the supply chain that they're running out of certain things. So, so that can be a challenge. Uh, Alcohol has been and probably will continue to be a, a big seller, right? I think I told you about my friend at Forty Creek who they created this Nanaimo bar uh, liqueur and it sold out like seven times their competitor, <laughs> which is an amazing, amazing story. Uh, telecom, who has not worked from home and thought, I wish I could up my bandwidth. Yes. Uh, <laughs> let's just talk about what would this have been like eight years ago, six years ago, 10 years ago? Like literally a non-negotiable pandemic. We would have had to do something different. It, well, we just would have wiped out an entire population so we'd be meeting in parking lots in secret. We, we would, right? yes, we would. Uh, so, Humans um, will find a way to connect. Yes. It, life will find a way. <laughs> even even at our peril. And so- Oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mining, I, I think we'll, we'll see mining continue to rise and a rise in government-backed infrastructure- so, for example, Saskatchewan making huge investments and uh, so aligning with government interests and programs. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this upcoming election mm-hmm. and um, and what the policies, if there's any policy change as a result. Um, but again, we cannot predict the future. We can only prepare for it. Yes. I think, you know, just going back to the people piece again, mm-hmm. I think it's so important. We had this, again, had this conversation in the fall not unlike or other organizations, we looked at what our scenario modeling was, what we needed to do to survive, recover, and thrive. And we worked really, really hard, not unlike everyone who's listening. And the fact is we had to take a break and say, our people also need a break and they need some care and feeding even more so than what we were doing before, right? Um, Work from home has brought on a new set of challenges and opportunities and, you know, putting boundaries in place, talking more about mental health, being good leaders. Um, those, all, those all come into play. And I think we're going to need to continue to remember those things at least into September. That's interesting. Curious, your views, I know you, you touched on it very broadly, but what do, what do you see with the remote first and work from home and office and any predictions on kind of where that might land out? I know it's going to be different for every organization, but we're not going back to the way we were before. I think that's a safe a statement I will make. I would say 80% of people would agree with you. There's still the 20% fringe that they believe that they got to be back in the office. And, oh yes, I have those debates. Right, the whites of the eyes and how do you know that they're working, which is just an absence of result and productivity measures. Um, <laughs> yes. And, uh, and, and some trust issues, I would I would also argue. Yes. And, um, uh, you know, a couple things come up. We predicted early on that 70% of people would look at a career change or a job change as a result of how their leadership handled this pandemic. So I think that that is worthy of note that, you know. Well, I, th- I see some of that coming true right now, actually. Yeah, yeah. there's some mobility for sure. And also, also a good reminder as leaders that, I mean, we're always evaluating our employees, but our employees are evaluating us too. 
My uh, friend of mine told me years ago, Tyler, if you're going to get into leadership, just remember, uh, always keep in mind your bandwidth or your, you know, he goes, you've got a, you've got a wider, you know, um, breadth of, you, you, you walk through the office and don't smile. Someone thinks they're getting let go. Just remember that. <laughs> your, your amplitude is what he says. We're not bandwidth. Amplitude. I always remember that. I, I like that. You're being evaluated as well. Mm-hmm. It's true. And so, so I think that that's a component. I would also say that most people, the work from home combination will be, um, 40% will work from home like the entire time, mm-hmm. like roughly. Those are not statistics. Yep. Yep. But, and I think a lot of organizations will go back between two to three days a week where mm-hmm. you're in the office. So more around the flexibility. More, I see a blended approach as well, for sure. Right. And that has dramatic impacts to real estate. Right. We have talked about how can you look at your whole workforce transformation and funding that on the back of your reduced uh, real estate footprint. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't have people coming in, you, you know, are you having offices? Are you having hotel stations? What does that mean? And what does that look like? Do people, are you setting them up at home for industrial hygiene so that there's no, you're not, they're not being injured while working from home? Like there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of components to that. And, you know, if we think about the attributes of a resilient organization, which I think is really what we're evolving to when we're talking about work from home, because work from home is a piece of future work and future of work. The underpinning of that is what is a resilient and adaptable organization, right? So you're prepared, you're adaptable, you're collaborative, you're trustworthy, which I pause on that. Are we talking about organizations? Are we talking about ourselves as individuals here? <laughs> I feel like you're just blank. I'm like, yes. I'm just yes. saying yes so far to everything you're saying. Yeah, well, it's it's as leaders because leaders set the tone for the organization and for the culture um, and, and that responsibility, right? Um, we have conversations about mental health. How are people feeling? I started day one of the pandemic and so I'd not been in the office or met my coworkers. Hmm. I have a ton of mentees who have started at Deloitte and never been in the office. But you know what that means is that they don't have a friend at work or they don't have a best friend at work. Mm -hmm. And we know from years and years of doing employee engagement, employee value proposition surveys and and whatnot, that having a best friend at work is a very strong indicator about your satisfaction, Mm -hmm. about your joy, about what you're willing to give as a result. And so how do we help new folks foster those relationships in, in a different way? And how do we shift our own organizational culture to be aware and adaptive of those people coming in? We need to welcome them into the fold. And I think that's where we can take our learnings from, um, you know, other parts of the world, right? Like Silicon Valley, I assume, has been doing this for a long time. There's so, a lot of companies I talk to that are like, well, we just called it the way we worked. We didn't call it work from home. We don't right. call it the pandemic. This was not a big deal for us. But you're right. The rest of the world was, you know, forced adaptation. <laughs> Indeed. And, and some industries or organizations or businesses will be lend itself more to that mm-hmm. than others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but an opportunity to come back and connect and to team is, I think, really important. And, you know, it's still important to have face-to-face conversations. No, and I don't want to, let's, let's be honest, we're also speaking directly from the space of being knowledge workers. Yes. You know, I can work from my computer. I don't have to put my hands on the tools. If we don't want to talk about the world we live in, there's a lot of people that need to go to work to do the thing that they need to do. So I just wanted to check that for a minute. I'm like, as I speak from my knowledge worker position, yes. which I'm, I don't want to sound like that's a blind spot for a large portion of our population that like, I'm going to be blunt, get shit done. <laughs> well, getting things done and also... If we think about the people that we appreciate most, 
in this last year. They have all been people who have showed up to their work so that we could have the privilege of not showing up to ours. Well said. Yes, I agree. I feel we could end right there. That was a strong moment. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just drop the mic and just continue on. Literally. No, I appreciate your perspective and the people and the people side of it. Because at the end of the day, this is we're all having a human experience, and it's been a little bit messy, and we're all learning and doing our best. And a couple of things you said, I really love the the collegiate approach of people. You know, maybe a little bit more vulnerability from a leadership perspective. Like, hey, what we thought was the direction yesterday, we have new information, and it, what we weren't expecting it, it showed up. So we're going to pivot, but we're going to include you in that journey. I think I think this has brought out well, it's brought out the good and the bad, but I would say it's going to lead to better leadership down the road because the ones that weren't won't make it through. Right. And the conversation is the most important part. Right. And so, you know, what am I most excited about? It's the opportunity for transformation. Mm -hmm. Now is the time. I mean, we've heard almost ad nauseum, you know, don't waste a good crisis and all these kind of things. (laughs) Absolutely. But but the fact is, we've been saying that in Alberta for five years. Well, like probably longer than that if we call it if we count the cycles. Yeah, yeah, you know? for, yeah, yeah. Well, we and, took a break from it for a while, then we came back to. Anyways, yes, I hear you. But the creativity that we have available to us to think differently and do things differently is unchecked. I would offer, and it's our opportunity to try to harness that and to do things in a different way. So, um, you know, there's that's how we're really going to move the needle. I appreciate that. So with with that spirit in mind, advice for leaders and leadership teams and even boards. I like what I brought, you brought in the board perspective of, you know, what is the role of the board through this type of transition? So advice or kind of words of wisdom for leadership teams and boards, like think of them as, as, a, as a team who's creating change. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to your point earlier, take a wider view of your organization, your competitors and your clients, right? Validate your view of yourself. Like don't drink your own Kool-Aid. <laughs> that is, that is a huge one. Um, and, and stress test it. And don't be afraid, like encourage people to break it. If we look at Einstein and all the times that he failed, right? No one thinks about that guy as a failure. So, <laughs> so, so be willing to fail and be willing to fail publicly and talk about your failures and what you learned from them. You know, when I think about cost management, People often go to cutting their people first. And, you know, we started at the beginning of this podcast talking about, you know, me saying optimization was a key lever. And so, um, you know, people continue to be our most valuable assets. And so we need to make sure that we design ourselves as an organization that meets and exceeds the needs of our people and allows them the runway to continue to grow and evolve Mm -hmm. in, in, in the ways that work for them. I think it is uh, imperative to be prepared, right? We talked about the modeling and the planning and also even with the um, wage subsidy to realize that it's going to come to an end at some point and to be prepared. And no one wants to think that that's going to be the case, but it absolutely is. And we just need to be prepared for that. Uh, Technology, right? The true digital economy and the transformations that need to come from that. And not just technology, but the overall digital strategy. I think separating those two, it's such a, it's such a trap to think that one is the other because that can get you into, you know, time will pass and you'll think you're moving ahead and then realize you, you weren't, you were just bolting things together. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a MacGyver move, right? Binder, twine, and duct tape. Uh, so <laughs> We just dated ourselves with that reference, but I think our audience will get it. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that. And then, uh, you know, be willing to pivot, right? It's, it's okay to double down on strategic risks. Like do your homework, 
be prepared. It's okay to be conservative and still take some risks. Well, I heard your 70, 70, 20, 10. Yeah. Yeah. It's loud and clear. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, I think all of those things continue to have conversations about who's doing what we're doing only better or differently. Challenge yourself to say who, like, what are we the best in the world at? What would people pay more for us to do than they would for anyone else? Because that's really the true differentiation. And, and I recognize not in all industries, that's not the competitive lever, right? right. In some industries, it is very cost competitive. Mm-hmm. And that's where you need to go with your uh, cost management, which is your processes and your technology and your technology-enabled transformation. Well, it's a strictly soap because sometimes if you're better at something, you can charge more for it. But other times, if you're better at it, you can actually do it more efficiently and keep your cost down. So it does work. To, there's it's both, both sides. Absolutely. Yeah. Be able to streamline it. Who doesn't want a bigger piece of the pie? Yes. Colleen, I really appreciate your, your perspective, your transparency. We waded in some interesting territory today. And it's the thing that can't be overlooked, which is the human side of everything we're talking about. Because ultimately, yes, technology. What's technology there for? To empower, to make life better, to remove friction. And you're right. There's patterns of behavior that we've adopted through this pandemic that we're not going to let go. Because it actually it's be- it works better for us. Yes. <laughs> Whatever that means. And dot, dot, dot. Colleen, I've, again, really, really valued you coming on. Really proud of the work that you're doing and love to be associated. I always get to learn so much when, when we chat. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, to contact me on LinkedIn or to contact Deloitte. Fantastic. I would encourage them to have a conversation. You'll never leave disappointed. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks for being so committed to the ongoing journey of learning because I learn so much from every single podcast that you put on. I haven't made it through all of them uh, yet. I, it's a lifelong journey for me too. I, I appreciate it. It's good to have goals. It's good yes, to have goals. I'll keep so. pumping them out just to keep you feel like you're behind. <laughs> Please do. Thank you so much. Love our conversations and uh, best of luck with everything. Thanks so much, Tyler. <laughs>